Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us more of your truth. You'd help us to know, receive, and share more of your love in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome. Glad that you're here. This morning, um, I'm talking about love, but I'm not doing it in some esoteric, out there way that won't matter on Monday morning. I'm going to talk about it in a way that will bring it home, like really home for us. And obviously, if you were um, following along, you know I'm going to go along with the gospel lesson that Chris just read. And when we start to look at this passage um, that was read, it's interesting to know that the scholars at the time that, that in Judaism, they kind of have two different extremes that took place. Like one extreme was they would sometimes just continue to make rule after rule after rule after rule based on the law. So they would get these they would take the oral tradition and just keep making all these laws and get super legalistic and have these huge compendiums of all the rules to implement the laws. But they also had at the other extreme times when they would, they just want to summarize it down in one sentence. Like, okay, give it to us in one sentence. And today when they approach Jesus and they're in this conversation, that's the kind of answer they're looking for. So they're looking to him to say, okay, like all of this, how are you going to bring it down to like one quick super short, concise summary. And Jesus answers all of that and says, look, it's this. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when he says that, he, he's, there's, it's both new and old in what he says. Because if you go back and look at it, the, the first part of, of it where it's saying, it's calling us to love God with everything, with our heart, mind, soul, strength, is an old passage from Deuteronomy 6, a super important one, has its own name, Shema. It's the thing that is how synagogue worship started then, starts now. It's one of the passages that's written in the phylacteries on the, on the prayer garments and things that, that get used. It's a super important verse. And then he combines that with a passage from Leviticus 19:18 that says to love your neighbor. But there are are a couple of new dimensions to what Jesus does with this. First of all, nobody had put these two together. He does that. He connects them with love being the thing that's a common thread through, through both of these. And then on his call to love our neighbors ourselves, he is calling them to love not just their Jewish neighbor, but all neighbors. So you get this opening up and this ex expansion with what's taking place with it. Today, what I want to focus on, there's a whole lot in there. We've talked about this verse before because it's in some of the other gospels, but I want to focus in on sort of the implicit part of it today and take that part deep because there, there are three commands really in that passage. It's love God, love your neighbor, but it's also implicitly love yourself. Jesus says that to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the part I, I want to dig in on today. And before we even start to go there, I'll come back to it. I want to pause and just think about where all of this love comes from. You know, we've been singing about it. Justin's picked a couple songs that we started with that are talking about how great God's love is. That's the source of it all. We hear how God is love. 1 John 4 says that. And then 1 John 4 goes on to say that we love because he first loved us. It's his love that empowers us to be able to love. And, and to go to the next level. And so I, I think sometimes when we encounter somebody that's really difficult to love, if we can just come closer to God and have more God's love in us, it'll make it easier to love whoever it is. 
We'll say more on that as we go. But this second part where, it's a, where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, I want us to all hear that in that he's saying to love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself because you're expected to love yourself. And I wonder, are you even able to love your neighbor if you don't love yourself? Can you give away what you don't already have? Can you love if you don't love yourself? That's part of why I want to dwell there today. And I think, you know, we hear it in lots of places and lots of ways through the pages of Scripture. People sometimes describe the Bible itself as God's love letter to us and how it's about love. But there are latest numbers or something like there's 7.7 billion people in the world. God loves every single one, knows them by name, knows the hairs on their head, loves them full on, and calls us to be in that same place with him. If we want to be more like God, we're going to love people. That's part of what this thing is saying, but it starts again with us loving ourselves. And I think we start to think about that for a minute. We are amazing in that God has made us out of love. He's, the Psalms talk about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Genesis talks about how we're made in God's image. A little bit later in the service, when Chris is up here at the altar doing the communion prayers, he's going to say, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. Like, we're made in love. We're, that's how we're created. That's wh where we are. We're the beloved of God. And there are things, I think, that get in the way of us sometimes, just stopping and just letting that love just um, be lavished on us and just receive it and just bask in it. Sometimes I think we get caught up thinking about that we're not worthy of it in some way. We start to think about we're loved, but we're not perfect. Nobody wants to have their worst moments in life put up on the screen in a short video, even if it was silent. I know I don't. You wouldn't be reaching for popcorn. You'd be reaching for a six-sack, you know? <laughs> but part of this is to not let that drag us down where we don't receive God's love. I mean, I mean God forgives us for what we've been, what we've done, and our deal is, are we going to receive it? Are we going to forgive ourselves? God is going to always pursue you and give love. The question is, are we going to receive that love? God's going to give us mercy. Are we going to receive that mercy? That's part of what our, our question is. And it's not just the things we've done. They're also, it's also the baggage of life that we get. Everybody gets some baggage in life. Sorry, I mean, if you think otherwise, but it's our circumstances will give you some baggage. And pe some people have it worse than others. There are, you know, all kinds of different circumstances that happen in life that may want to make us think at some level we're not, we're not loved. But that's not our identity. That doesn't define us. And I think the best place I go when you're thinking about that is to like Romans 8. Because that chapter is great. But part of that chapter says, look, the Holy Spirit works in us so that we know we're God's children. That we are God's children. That's our prime identity. We're allowed to cry out to him as dad. And if that same chapter goes on to say, there is nothing, 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 nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God. Not death, not wars, not tribulations, not all these things. Like that love is constant, pure, perfect, and always there. And something you can anchor on and hold your life to. That's what defines us. And I'm aware that we oftentimes have trials and circumstances in life that may 
want to make us feel like we're unlovable or that we're not loved or we're not the beloved of God, but we are. There are people that go through relationships that break up where there's a breakup where they somehow come out of that feeling that they're unloved. Are there family dynamics where somebody doesn't receive the love from a parent they think they, they should have? All these kinds of things, it makes people feel that way. I did something this week I've not done before. I know lots of preachers do this, um, but there, I put out something on Facebook where I was thinking about a number of situations, but I put out something on Facebook asking, is there anybody out there who has been abandoned by a parent who can have healing words to speak into that situation? Message me. And I got back a bunch of messages. It was really awesome to hear what people have been through, but to hear their healing and what they did. And all the ones who contacted me were people really talking about how they found God's love as something that soothed that hurt and helped them heal. And like the one I think about in particular was this one guy who contacted me who said when he was a small child that his mother had abandoned him through addiction. She was already absent and really abandoning him because of the addiction that she was in. And then when that ultimately got severe enough that um, his dad separated from her and they divorced, and he said that his mom didn't even seek custody of him and how abandoned that he felt. Through that, he pushed on to find what it is to be the beloved of God and to understand that he was a child of God and, and that sense of love. And as he grew down the road, he said he got to a place where he could look back and not only see with empathy whatever pain his mom was going through that led her to try to cope the way she did and led her to those places to forgive her, to let go of all the pain and stuff, but to receive fully what God had for him as a child and his healing. And he, was, he was, um, had a fantastic message of encouragement through all that. And they all did. They were all similar that way. They tapped in on God's resource of love coming to them that healed them and allowed them to love their neighbors, even the neighbors that are hard, even the parent that had hurt them kind of a thing, to go beyond it. And I think that's part of our, our, our challenge is to receive that kind of love and let it nurture to us and minister to us and not be let our circumstances define who we are, but to allow our definition of who we are to always be the beloved of God and to lean into that and, and to experience that and share it. I think part of that calls us then to think about how do we do that? It's important for us to learn to be good at loving ourselves. How do we do that? I want to do a couple quotes um, here in the next little bit from Henry Nowen, the spiritual writer. He gets front stage on this because he wrote a book called The Beloved, which is a fantastic book. Um, I, he wrote it for a person who was not in the faith, wanting them to just get a glimpse of how God loved them. But he talks about in one place in the book about how um, the opposite of self-love is self-rejection. And he wants to, to say that that is maybe the single biggest hindrance in the spiritual life. This is what he says. He says, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. He says it's the greatest hindrance in the spiritual life if you reject yourself and don't love yourself. I think it's more than that. I think it sabotages relationships, 
holds back what our potential is. It does all kinds of things it does if we don't learn to love ourselves. And so because it's so important, I want to spend just the last bit of this sermon thinking about what are the practical ways that we practice this? What are the things we can do to kind of lean into having a healthy love for ourselves so that we can love our neighbor? So we can be better at following into this command that Jesus gives. And I want to give one more uh, quote from Henry Nowen. Henry Nowen starts out, he doesn't do it like the way I'm doing, talking in practical terms, but he does say the very first thing that we should do if you're trying to push back on this self-rejection is see the lie that the world gives us, the media and the things that we receive over the transom, the way that they pull us back, just see it and unmask it. Let me read it in his words. He says, first of all, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, feel offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, as strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. We've got to be able to identify it, unmask it, and name it, and walk away from that. I think along with that, if we're going to practice self-love, we've got at some point to get a hold of the little voice in our head that wants to give you a bunch of bad stuff. You know, when you come in here today, you never walk up to somebody and say to them, man, that outfit really makes you look bad. <laughs> but we'll say it to ourselves. And we've got to learn to walk past that. And we have to learn that we're on this journey that, you know, some of us want to say, well, I'm going to feel good about myself when I get to the next stop. But that's not where we are. God already accepts us and loves us the way we are, and we need to do that for ourselves. Like, we're, we're still working. We're all on a journey of discipleship. We're going to be talking about that more in the time to come, in the years to come. But being able to accept and love you where, right where you are. And I'm, I'm going to go further than this, not just getting rid of that voice. How about having a different voice in your head that actually says something good to yourself? You compliment other people at work hey, great job on that presentation. When do you say that to yourself? Or you compliment how somebody looks. Why not compliment yourself? Like figure out some ways to give yourself something good with it. Now, I will tell you, a couple years ago, we did this sermon series on the, on the uh, seven deadly sins. And if you remember that sermon series, the number one sin that's the root of all of them was pride. So we got to be a little careful with, with that as the other side. But we're not, so we're not saying that. We were talking about seeing your giftedness Step into your giftedness, but recognize it comes from God. Give him the universal prayer of gratitude back to him, right? Because it is always a temptation. I thought one of the funnier things, and God bless everybody that does online dating, but um, I saw something funny from one of the date sites that came out a few years ago, um, about four years ago, from OkCupid. They said that one of the interesting things they reported was that men— when they fill out the, like the questionnaire that they're going to use to help work on some of the matches and stuff, two out of five men say they're geniuses. 
<laughs> I, think, I think the number's one in 100 that has a 98 or 99 IQ, but apparently two-fifths of guys put down that they're geniuses. So we're not, we're not trying to fuel pride, but we are saying put, it, put that voice aside and see your giftedness and give thanks to God for it and be okay with complimenting what God has given you. Accept your gift and with gratitude that he's given you and be okay with that, right? I think one more thing that we do um, in terms of um, loving ourselves is to not allow ourselves to ever think that we're disqualified in life or ministry or in receiving God's love because of the stuff we've done. And I mean, if you've read the Bible, you know there's story after story after story of how God takes somebody super broken and uses them. Like the whole Bible's that way. I mean, you think about Peter who you know, disclaims Jesus, but then goes on to be this big church leader. The one I like as a priest that I've been focusing on a little bit lately is Aaron, because, you know, Aaron is Moses's relative, helps get everybody out of bondage. And then when Moses goes up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and is having this holy moment with God and getting the commandments, Aaron's left in charge at the camp and everything falls apart, right? I mean, the people come to him, we need a God, we need a God. And at some point he breaks down and says, okay, give me your gold. Let's melt it down. He makes the calf, right? And then Moses comes down, and it's this terrible scene. But, but have you ever thought about where Aaron goes after this? He doesn't get disqualified permanently. He gets in trouble. But God is ultimately going to make him the first high priest. He's going to be the guy going in the Holy of Holies and all this. He doesn't throw him away. God never gives up on us, and he calls him into this bigger place. And I just, you know, you can imagine, I've heard, you, know, you can imagine God at this moment coming, coming looking down there and telling the angel next to him, yeah, you see the guy down there dancing around that gold calf that made that and couldn't last two weeks? That's the guy I'm going to make the high priest. God doesn't give up on us, and, and we shouldn't give up on ourselves that way either. And um, the, very, the very final thing that I'll, that I'll say that I think is part of self-love, we talked about it past, this past summer when we did the Ten Commandments series, is don't covet. And I mean, don't look at what other people have. God has given you gifts for your, what you're doing and your race, and that's where we find contentment and love is we can see those gifts, celebrate those, and don't be looking at the person next to you saying, oh, I wish I looked like them, or I wish I had their skills, or I wish I had whatever, because that leads to unhappiness. And I think it stops us from seeing our own gifts and asking God how we're going to play the cards we've received. Thankful for the cards we've got, let's play, let's play them that way. I think about that with all these revelations coming out of Facebook, right? I mean, like one of the things that's out there that's horrific is the way Instagram has impacted teenage girls. Like if you've seen this, I mean, like the number of, de like the correlation between like, I think it's Instagram and depression amongst teenage girls, it's like huge. And it, they say they think it's because all the comparisons taking place. Get rid of comparing yourself or coveting or thinking about what other people have. Rest in your, what God's given you, your own giftedness and celebrate that. I want to bring this in for a landing. I think that we need to hold on to how God loves us perfectly and always. And he calls us to, in return to love him and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And with that, he calls us to love ourselves. And if you want to love your neighbor well, if you want to love your family well, if you want to love your friends well, part of that has to start with you loving yourself well. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. We are your beloved. That's hard for us to receive and take deep in us at times. We've got a million reasons. We've got voices that say that we're not loved. 
Help us to set all that aside and hear your voice of truth saying we are your beloved. Help us to lean into that, receive your love, and then share it in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.